Welcome to OnAmp. Oh no, not another marketing podcast. I'm your host, Will Davis. I'm the Chief Marketing Technology Officer and co-founder at RightSource with over 20 years experience in the marketing space. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from strategy to content to MarTech platforms and everything in between. You'll hear honest talk about successes and failures with our guests, plenty of analogies, maybe a couple jokes, and a lot of data points along the way. But I will say this, when I talk to other CEOs, they're only measured by how they're doing on the income statement and the balance sheet guys, right? So if, if that isn't moving by what's happening through marketing or sales, there's got to be something in the scoreboard that says why. So with me today, Keith Mueller. Keith, great to have you here. Uh, diehard Cubs fan, CEO Bookkeeping Express, um, all around kind of business focused guy. And it's really good to have you here to talk a little bit about marketing, a little bit about business, a little about bookkeeping, and kind of what got you into this world. Yeah, thank you very much. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a like, great time. So so tell us a little bit, um, before we get into kind of the details of how you got into Bookkeeping Express, you know, what, what kind of, what's your background, what brought you into that? area. Yeah, so my first career was actually 29 years at Accenture, where you get to see all kinds of great things and deliver all kinds of value to clients. And one of the things uh, along the way that I got to study was actually the small business world and how can, you know, how we can help them be more successful. Um, And then I retired and I completely failed at (laughs) retirement. Um, And I had the opportunity to come into Bookkeeping Express and which tied back to, you know, the thing we found at Accenture, which is they really need help with their financials, good books, understanding their numbers and so forth. And that's where we started, basically. That's great. And so in some of my notes, it said, how do you get into the bookkeeping business? But do you even consider yourself in the bookkeeping business or, you know, how would you describe what you all do for your clients? Yeah, so I, in my thought process, at least, the world of the CFO services, the CPA, and the bookkeeper are all converging through the use of technology. So I, you know, when I look at a BKE is delivering not only books, income statement, balance sheet, transaction reports, but a lot of knowledge about what's happening in those books that you normally get from a CFO services. Um, we're not doing tax, so we're not doing any audit or the tax scenario. But we definitely are blurring all those lines together. And it's all coming through the use of technology, by the way. And that's interesting. It's kind of combining the traditional professional services, leveraging technology to really bring the best value to bear for clients. With all the data we have, the analytics that you can now have for a client, it just pops right out, right? Um, and, you know, it, it, instead of in the past where you had to put it into a spreadsheet and analyze and create graphs, now it's just automatically occurring, basically, which is where the line gets blurred right over to the CFO services to provide that value to the clients. That's very cool. So, you know, you talked about your background at Accenture and then <laughs> failing at retirement. And so what what about kind of this gap in the market really got you excited and got you off the bench? Yeah, so this is an area, small business bookkeeping, CFO services, that you struggle to name anybody that actually has any scale. Um, in fact, you can't, right, because nobody does have actual scale. So one, the exciting part to me was, hey, this feels wide open to take. Uh, two is... The technology, applying a technology to it was behind most other enterprise level areas by far. Um, and you can see how you could apply the technology, but it would take a lot of 
um, sweat and tears and you know trial and error, uh, which I kind of tend to love. Yeah, that's that's really interesting too. As we've talked about um, before, we recorded today. One of your passions is kind of operationalizing some of these things. So it's it's really interesting to see where businesses are inefficient unable to get much more efficient. Yeah, in fact, you know, the first thing we did for a couple of years here was not really apply technology, it was actually apply manufacturing f- uh, processes or thoughts and ha- into the bookkeeping world, right? So instead of having one bookkeeper that owns 10 clients, we were breaking the work up like a manufacturing plant and gaining all kinds of efficiencies. And, you know, at the end of the day, that cut at least, you know, half, if not three quarters of our time out of the system just by applying different principles to the to the process. So that's that's pretty cool. So you guys looked at manufacturing and, you know, we see this a lot more in industries now as people going across industries and saying, what can we learn from something all the way over here in a different space? apply to a new space and create some type of innovation so yeah. when when did you think of that did you wake up in the middle of the night and think of it was it uh <laughs> you know just kind of digging through things did you learn stuff in your uh consulting history where'd you get there yeah so when when i first came into bke and we were trying to think about the technology we have to design the process right that you want to build because otherwise you're going to miss with the technology and as we were studying the way we were doing books it, it dawned on myself and a couple other people, Elizabeth Palumbo, who runs our director of operations, that, hey, guys, if we do this a little bit differently, we can overlap the processes occurring at the client at the same time. Uh, we can act like an enterprise where you have uh, an enterprise level where you have an accounts receivable person, an accounts payable to person, and a collection, you know, and, and so forth and so on. But we had to apply it to the small business world. Um, and we found different areas like document collections or credentials management that should be completely separated away from the bookkeepers, or the bookkeeper can be straight down. So it was really as we were developing the processes for the tech that we realized, hey, guys, we can do this differently and see how far we can get it before we even apply the tech. Uh, and, it, and it worked, and it worked in a, in a big way. Um, you know, for us, when we started, the, you know, we were around 12 hours per client per month. Um, and let's just say we're you know, 90% less than that today um, through the use of the, uh, the workflows and the processes, the manufacturing plant, and the tech. Wow, that's a, good, that's a great efficiency story. Um, so switching gears for a minute, as, as CEO, and most of our listeners are both business people and maybe sometimes marketers, um, I want to dig in a little bit on the marketing side. Uh, big part that's fueled your business growth, but also you know, sometimes our listeners don't always know what's going on in the CEO's head, right? <laughs> Maybe they're a marketing manager, a marketing director, and they're thinking uh, the person down the hall or the person who has, you know, an outsourced relationship. So so I want to dig into that, that a little bit. Um, what matters to you as a CEO when it comes to marketing? What are the things that are really important? What are the things you're aiming for? Yeah, I mean, that's not an easy answer, right? Because there's multiple things across marketing, as you guys know better than I do, right? You have anywhere from brand recognition and content that drives people reading you, getting on your websites, to lead generation at the other end that drives the sales, right? Um, and, you know, I, I firmly believe that different times in the life cycle of a company causes different things to actually occur for marketing too, right? When we were early on, we just wanted brand recognition so people knew who the heck we were. You know, today we want brand recognition and we want those leads coming out of the system so that we can drive our growth on the top line. Um, So to me, it comes down to measurements, 
personally. You know, how are we doing with the you know, emails that are going out the door, the brand recognition, and what's going on, on our website, and then just pure leads, and we just measure those metrics, and off we go. Uh, there's, you know, the brand one's a little hard to measure, as you guys are aware, but, you know, you can feel it in your gut when it's actually occurring. And so when you're dealing with, um, you know, your stakeholders internally, externally, do you have a scoreboard? How do you how do you measure that when you talk about really uh, putting the metrics yeah, to, to the board? So for us on the board, um, it, it, the metric isn't so much about the brand because that is a little bit harder to measure. Uh, it is about the I do share the content that's created to the board, which they enjoy reading, I think. Um, I mean, they, <laughs> we think they read them, but at least they nod their heads that well, they we are. We can track that right. if you really want to <laughs> no, in the future. But yeah, no, but so for them, though, it is all about, you know, um, you know, we've, we're, we're trying to scale now on our growth. Right. So to them, it's around the top of the top of the funnel and what's feeding into that top line revenue growth through the sales engines. Um, and it's, that's pretty easy stuff to figure out. Uh, and they want, you know, the, the board, from my perspective, also wants to know that we know what's happening. Um, you know, what's happening with this campaign versus that campaign versus this versus that. So they were applying dollars correctly. So they're looking at it and saying, do you guys even know what you're doing <laughs> to some degree? And all you got to do is show one chart. I hate to be facetious, but if you can show them that you're actually measuring and tracking, they're like, okay, let's keep moving on, right? <laughs> So on the flip side, we talked about what really matters to CEOs from a marketing perspective. I think some of it, too, and and frankly, the people I know in marketing would love to know, what's the stuff that the marketers think matters and the CEO doesn't care about at all? And and maybe they should stop spinning <laughs> their wheels and stop doing it. Because I, I think sometimes, like, if I could only get in that person's head and know what's going on, it would be great. But they don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we've worked together here, guys, so we kind of are in sync on what, you know, what it is. And, and to, be, uh, to be blunt, you guys have helped, uh, helped me think that through a great amount. So, I mean, I can't really speak to what the marketers think versus what the CEO thinks. But I will say this, when I talk to other CEOs, they're only measured by how they're doing on the income statement and the balance sheet, guys, right? So if, if that isn't moving by what's happening through marketing or sales, there's got to be something in the scoreboard that says why, basically. No, that's great. I, I think really one of the things we've tried to drill in on this podcast is being revenue-driven as marketers and really tuning yeah. into what, you know, to yeah. your point, it's on the balance sheet. Yeah. I mean, any any startup, any small business, any medium business is going to be looking at the income statement and the balance sheet going, am I trying to grow the top line? Am I trying to grow the bottom line? What am I trying to do here? And whatever that is, right, has to be part of what marketing does, right? No, that's great. Uh, confirmation of what we suspected, but, but always good to know. Um, so shifting gears for a minute, and this is another hot topic in marketing, kind of sales and marketing alignment. Hmm. As, as the CEO, what have you seen work? What have you tried to foster? And then maybe we'll go later, like what doesn't work and what do we learn from it? Yeah, and, and I do believe this is somewhat different if you're in the enterprise side versus the small business side, right? Um, the small business side, um, and let me restate that, it really SaaS versus business as a service and those type of sales. The salesperson really only cares about how are you helping me? And that really means how am I going to make more commissions, <laughs> right, mm -hmm. this month? So make my life better. Give me better leads. Give me leads that will close quicker. Give me easy leads, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And, and so the, as a marketing organization, if you can put yourself in their brain, that's what they're looking for. The sales organization struggles, in my opinion, to actually understand the longer game, 
right? They're in the short-term game all the time, specifically around SaaS sales, you know, because they're just, they're churning so fast through it, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, to put the two together is hard because it's, I'm, I'm going to be blunt, the normal salesperson doesn't even want to think about the longer-term game. Sure. Right? So you got to get the sales leadership to care about it so they're building the pipe for the future and then help through the salesperson. That's you know, at least my thought process on it. <laughs> it's hard. It's not easy. It's it's hard. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen that a lot too, you know, um, balancing that business of marketing as a lead generation machine with marketing as a qualified Correct. lead generation machine, Correct. because the worst business you can be in in marketing is the generator of bad leads. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I still, I would be open. I raised my hand and said, I still don't really understand the concept of a marketing qualified lead, a sales qualified. I mean, I get it on paper. I understand it. But I know the two sides don't come together on it. That makes any sense at times. Right? And you just keep working it, right? Yeah, well, no, and I think that's a great point, too, is a lot of times people create these really structured definitions yeah. in a vacuum. Right. And they actually don't create them together. So the marketing leaders and the sales leaders don't always get on the same page Correct. with even what those definitions mean. And then over time, they change, too. Right. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. And as the business changes, right? What yeah. do we need more of? We need more of these. Or where do we have more resources? So we need to shift that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And at the pace that we change, that thing is changing every two months, which is causing more consternation, right, mm -hmm. for everybody and more communication required. You know, and who's doing what? We're going to take that marketing qualified lead and we're going to do email campaigns. Great, right? And then they're saying, well, I, you know, it just changes all the time. Yeah, and especially just, in the startup SaaS yeah, world where well, there's, you know, things things change on a dime. Yeah. Trying to work in those concrete definitions. It's hard. There's, you know, the con concrete breaks if you hit it <laughs> right. too many times. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's really good. Um, so marketing-wise, would love to hear from you um, you know, ideal team, how would you build it? Like, who are the people you need on the bus? Where would you start? Um, you know, if you only have one hire, who would it be? If you only have two hires, who would they be? That's a, that's a tough question, actually. If you throw it all outsourced, what does it yeah, look like? No, I mean, I mean and, yeah. and, and again, you have to put yourself in what company are you and where you are, are you in the stage of your life cycle, right? As a startup, you, you know, with, you know, whether you're backed by venture capital or whether you're, you know, bootstrapping it, the same problem exists, which is you need a little bit of everything. You need a little bit of marketing uh, content. You need a little bit of branding. You need a little bit of MarTech capability. You need a little bit of whatever CRM system you have, you, you know, all these little things. But you probably don't need full time on all of those. Um, so I'm a big believer as a startup, at least, that you outsource that and buy the fractions and the knowledge capital from you know, firms like RightSource. Uh, marketing to be able to get all that. If I had to do a first hire, it would it, it, to me it would be around the person that can dive into the organization easily from a content perspective into operations for us, into our sales for its sales teams for us to understand what content to drive. Mm -hmm. um, but you still need that one throat to joke, <laughs> um, and that's a hard person to find that knows all those skills as a startup, right? So that's why I like yeah. the outsourcing piece of it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know that whole sort of magic question, like, is there a is there a magical unicorn person who's great at all these things? We and, wish. You know, I'd like to think it's me, but that's definitely no. not true. No, and, I, and my guess is somebody that thinks it is them is probably going to have to redo things about fifteen times as the years go on, right? Yeah, uh, because they just they, I mean the the skill base for somebody that knows Marketo 
um, or part of it or whoever it is, whatever it is, versus the person that's writing the you know the content, completely different skill. Mm-hmm. There's no way in my world that you can actually do both of those, you know, successfully accurate if that makes sense at its best. Yeah, with the same skill base. It's interesting as you say that you know the person who thinks they're that person is probably <laughs> not, absolutely not, <laughs> not that person. person. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> Run in the other direction. Exactly. Uh, so you're talking a little bit earlier about Marketo and Pardot and some of this marketing technology. Um, interested to hear your perspective as someone who runs the company. You know that's that's only getting bigger. Yeah. Um, your operational background, the promise, the dreamland is it creates a lot of efficiencies. Like even the name, right? Automation. It feels like it's growth, but but what have you seen work? And then I guess on the flip side, I'd say also where are the challenges and where do you think maybe you know, you bought the unicorns and rainbows and yeah. ended up in the muck and the yeah. mushy mud. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fabulous question because, quite frankly, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably do it slightly different. Uh, we went with the what we thought would be the end state tools for BKE, which was Marketo, Salesforce. Uh, now we have a um, sales development rep tool called Outreach installed. So we got three really hefty big tools in play. Uh, for, you know, basically a startup company. And the thought process for us was, guys, we might as well get there. Even if we only use 10% of those tools, it's better than, you know, two years from now converting and all that type of stuff. But the heft is big, (laughs) right, and complex. And, you know, if I had to do it over again, I might start with lower level tools that met 50% of the requirements and then convert later. Uh, Because I think the heft actually caused us some delays in getting it right uh, in the complexity, some delay, not getting it right, but just getting it implemented and working correctly. Um, but, you know, it's a tough call. It's, it is a tough call. And those tools are brilliant, right? I mean, they, you can do anything. Um, and I'll add one other complexity. You can do anything in Marketo, Salesforce, and Outreach, and they're all exactly doing the same functions at times. <laughs> right. So then right. you got to decide where to do things. <laughs> right. right. You have to figure so, out if you could do it in all of them, which one should you do it exa- in. Exactly. And, and for you, I would imagine, you know, part of your job has to be to stay above the fray. Yeah. So how do you figure out, okay, I've made these investments. We bought these tools. They're first-class tools. But I have three owners of them maybe telling me each each owner should have the thing happen in the tool that they like the best because they own it. So how do you handle that? Yeah, so I, I mean, I made it pretty simple. First off, I rely on the experts in each one of those tools. But two is I have in my mental image, I've, I've, and I think I've declared it, right? Salesforce is my client information. Outreach is where I'm going after and targeting clients on a constant basis through transactions. And Marketo is my marketing tool for emails, inbound, all that kind of good stuff. And when I keep it that way, you know, you can kind of say, okay, that goes there, that goes there, and that goes there. And then you're only arguing about the integrations between the two of the times. But, you know, um, yeah. And, and it does cause some, you know, you want to add a new campaign. You add it in Salesforce. You add it in Marketo. You do all that kind of good stuff. But if you get that higher level picture of what you want each tool to focus in on, I think it helps a whole bunch. Yeah, that's no, that that's a great, and I think for the folks listening, you know, trying to figure out where to do things because, I mean, we talk about this all the time, a third of the marketing budget for most organizations goes towards software. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and that's that's a huge change from even just a few years ago because it went towards people or media or all those combinations. So how do you 
you know, how do you use it the right way? I think that's a really good guideline for people to, to subscribe to. Um, so as we're kind of rolling through these things, um, looking at 2019, obviously a big year for you guys. What does that look like goal-wise? Are there things you're trying to hit? Are there things you look at on the horizon and say, for our business, 2019 means X, Y, or Z? Yeah, so it, it, um, you know, when we got to our efficiency for the work we did, it was time to unleash the, you know, the marketing and sales arms. Uh, and that occurred mid last year, 2018. Um, and to some degree, you know, it worked in 2018, later in 2020. We're still learning. We're so young to all this. 2019 is going to be about growth for us. It's going to be about top line growth in particular. Um, our industry right now, I, we, you know, I don't mind saying, we believe is a land grab for clients uh, because the automation is really just maybe at the beginning of the, or at the end of the beginning, if even that far for what's actually occurring. So everybody's trying to scale up through clients um, and get you know the scale plays. So it is all about growth for us. Um, you know, we'll continue to apply technology to our operations, but it's actually getting lower and lower as a percentage of you know, the, the cost that we have. Uh, and more of it's going to the sales and marketing arm. Um, yeah, so it's it's for us. It's you know keep applying technology, keep delivering, and keep that growth engine on the top line moving forward. Basically, so that's interesting. You're seeing now you've kind of gotten the gotten the core built and the operational piece built, and now it is really focused around customer acquisition and customer retention. Yeah, and while watching CAC that we don't get completely out of control, uh, but absolutely. In fact, with our engineering, we were just strategizing uh, late last year. We're in a transitional mode where our engineering talent is going to be moving more away from how to automate the books and the you know to more around really good data science and analytics around the different clients that we have, the clients that we have, the client base for Zors, franchisors. Uh, the franchisees being able to compare themselves against each other in some way that we don't give out names. Hmm. You know, that's the stuff we're working on now that just uh, implements more value add on the engineering side. So that's interesting, almost like a, uh, a, not necessarily a score, but sort of how do you benchmark against other people that are in your space? Correct. And I know you can't give too much away about that because that's probably the secret sauce. Just think meters. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> how are you doing on the meters? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, so few minutes we have left one of the things i'd love to hear from you is you know what should other people in your seat be thinking about from a business perspective and a marketing perspective you've you've advised ceos um you are a ceo you know what what do what do people need to tune into yeah it's a good that's another great question you know both in my career at accenture and now here at bke it's very easy to get distracted by things whether it's people whispering in your ear that you should be doing this or your board yelling at you should be doing that or, you know, a sales team saying do this, you know, it, it, you can get lost. And I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is, boy, you've got to have your strategy down and what it's all about and stay on that strategy and that focus. Because the more you pivot away or think something different, you'll be in a constant pivot mode and you'll miss all the time. Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard, you know, when you see stuff and you're reading about a competitor that, well, they went and did this. Oh, crap. Maybe we ought to go do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it, it actually hurts in a bad way. 
Um, and for us, our you know a case example of that is the total addressable market for us is 12 million clients, of which you know rounded number 11 million are not franchise concepts. But boy, are we really good at delivering to franchisees. So you can feel the sales team wanting to go after the 11 million, <laughs> even marketing wanting to go after the 11 million. But if we stay on focus on the 1 million, or it's actually 750,000 franchisees, you get better results this year. That doesn't mean eventually you don't move, but when you move, everybody moves, or otherwise you get lost. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because we hear so much in, you know, in all the stuff we read in our startup space and all the stuff we listen to and everything. People talk about tacking to find the wind. Yeah. You know, sailboat analogies are great in this space, so we all want to make them and, and constantly shifting and shifting. But but what you're saying is really, you know, while you may shift the tactics, you need to stay focused on, on the, the strategy. strategy. Absolutely correct. And that's you know, and, and I'll give you another example. In the today's techno or engineering space with agile development. In the course of whether you're doing a two-week sprint or a four-week sprint or a six-week sprint, you can literally get off your roadmap like that if you're not paying attention. So again, strategy on your roadmap, what are you really working on? You know, Otherwise, in two months from now, why are you working on that stuff over here when we were supposed to be over here? And it's just you got to stay on that focus, and that's what the CEO has to pay attention to. I got two big questions for you as we wrap up. Um, one is if current Keith could say something to young Keith, what would you tell them? So it's, it's very good questions. Um, you know, my career um, at Accenture, um, I had the talent of the talent, you know, above me, below me, around me, wherever it was. Um, and you, you really relied on the talent a lot more than you realize outside of a firm that is, is you know, quite frankly, as great as Accenture. Uh, and the younger Keith would like you, you know, should be told, hey, learn all the skills around you that people are doing that you don't even realize they're doing, whether that's finance or whether that's marketing or whether that's sales, because it just happens at an enterprise like Accenture and you just didn't even realize the talent, right? Uh, I, I really would have liked to have been more well-rounded. And I ran big P&Ls, but... Did I really have to do anything with those big PLs other than make sure that the people were where they were supposed to be there and make the strategic? No, I didn't, right? And as a startup guy, you need that skill in all those spaces. So I'd love to go back and you know build the more rounded entrepreneur capability, actually. Hmm. That's, that's a really good insight. Um, question two, a little more fun, 2019 for the Cubs. What's it look like? 93 wins. And how far in the playoffs? I can't say. I, I, I want to see the NLCS again. <laughs> they, they, I mean, are, not that I'm too much of a Cubs fan and watch it too much, but they, you know, the NL Central is going to be a brutal. It's going to be a brutal slog this year. So if they get the 93 wins, that would be really good. It's going to be tight. Nobody's going to run away with it unless there's injuries, of course. Um, you know, but uh, Bryant and uh, Contreras and all these guys got to bounce back a little bit this year. <laughs> well, here's hoping uh, you get to raise the flag a lot. Yes. And uh, thanks w. for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it.